Well, last week, last Sunday, the Super Bowl was set between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. And as I watched the Bengals uh, win the AFC championship, I see them accepting the championship trophy. And the man that was accepting the trophy is a man named Mike Brown. And right behind him, his wife uh, was standing there. And I get a call from Mary. She was at a conference last, last week. And she said, uh, she called me and said, isn't that uh, Mr. Brown and his wife? I said, yes, it is. Now, we are also Mr. Brown and his wife. Yeah, I'm Mr. Brown. Yes. We got that all covered. Well, Mary and I know Mr. and Mrs. Brown of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, we don't know them well, but the last time we did see them, we were together sitting at a table with them at a wedding banquet. Mr. Brown saw Lane Brown and took my name tag and sat in my seat. And luckily at our table, there were two people that didn't show up to the wedding and we sat there. So we didn't realize that there was a mistake and we just thought we were sitting with Mr. Brown and his wife. But that's pretty cool. And I was at this wedding because one of my friends, a mutual friend of, of, uh, of Jason and Donna, you were at the wedding. Yes, Donna Bragg was, was at the wedding with us. But I took Jason's spot because Jason was working in, in, uh, in Alaska and I went to the wedding as a groomsman. Jason was supposed to be the groomsman. I was uh, next, next in line. So I got bumped up to groomsman. And it was quite the festivities. This was an NFL player that was getting married. And he was marrying this woman that's uh, kind of a socialite. Her father owns like five uh, steakhouses in the Cincinnati area. And this was the party. This was the place to see and be seen. Right, Donna? It was a pretty big party, right? And that's it right there. That's, that's Mary and I at, the, at, the, at this wedding banquet. And that's the, that's the banquet. It just was this beautiful occasion. As I walk in to the banquet, they announce my name. Lane Brown, groomsman. They didn't even say that he was only a groomsman. Jason didn't accept the invitation. <laughs> Lane Brown. And I'm feeling pretty good at my, uh, of myself. And I sit down at the table. And across from me is the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, and I get to tell him all about my fantasy football leagues and all that. I was someone pretty important until they announce the wedding party and they come in and they look and then there's this look of horror on the bride's face as she sees her husband's boss sitting at a table with a bunch of Texas yahoos <laughs> that are just old friends. And she looks, and you can tell she's realized something horrible has happened. And she goes to him and says, Mr. Brown, you're not supposed to sit with these people. You're supposed to be up high. In the, if you see up in the, the, the top, that's where Mr. Brown was supposed to be, her, right over there. And that made me feel pretty low. <laughs> I was these people. I wasn't where Mr. Brown was. I was at the bottom. And it, as that moment was happening, I'm thinking of the place where we are 
in Luke today. This very unique story where Jesus has this dinner party with some folks. And we've seen Luke talk about last week, we were talking about how Jesus was preaching to the thousands. People were stumbling on each other. That's what, that's what Luke says. People were stumbling on each other just trying to hear the message of Jesus. And now Luke's going to take it from the crowd to this little intimate dinner party that Jesus is having or that he's invited to. So in your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and I encourage you to open your Bibles and, and stay there today. That's where we're, we're going to be most of the day. In Luke 14, verse 1 says, One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched, and there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in, in a, of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they said, nothing. So the first thing I see here is Jesus is invited to this dinner party. He's invited to share a meal with some Pharisees. And matter of fact, it's the leading Pharisee or, or, a, or a, just this distinguished person of the city. Jesus grace, gracefully accepts this invitation. And the invitation is sent out to him. And what you see here is, is two parties that as far as we know, both of them want to serve God the best way they can. But they have two different mindsets on what it means to serve God. What it means to be a follower of, of our God. But that doesn't stop the two of them from getting together and celebrate and having a meal together. And not just a meal, it's an important meal. It's their Sabbath meal. And what that tells us is Jesus went to this meal in a way to help teach these people that want to follow God. And they probably brought him to this meal to learn a little bit more about who this traveling preacher is, this teacher, this healer. And they also wanted to see maybe if he was willing to break God's law. And so Jesus knows what's going on in their hearts and he sees someone that doesn't quite fit into this meal and there's a man that uh, your scripture might say has dropsy. Mine said has abnormal swelling. I think in today's uh, medical jargon it might be some sort of peripheral edema. Shows that there's something wrong with his heart. Or something wrong with his kidneys and he's, he's retaining fluid and, and it's, it's clear that he looks abnormal. Something's not right about him. That being said, he's probably not in critical danger of dying that very night. So Jesus decides before they're going to see what 
he has to say about it, he's going to ask them a question. And this question is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because the Pharisees have put all these rules into, into God's word. And frankly, they have pretty bad theology. They see this, this command of God and they're trying to add some bad theology to it. But their, their mindset is they don't even want to come close to breaking God's law, even at the expense of others. They don't answer and Jesus heals the man and he sends him on his way. Because he's not going to use this man as a pawn any longer for their little dinner party. And then Jesus probes a little deeper and he says, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull it out? And I think right here is he's trying to get them to think of other laws, other commands that God has told them. Other ways that, that they could really see what God, what God means when he gave these commands, gave these laws to them. And he's probably thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 4, that says, If you see your neighbor's donkey or ox has collapsed on the road, do not look the other way. Go and help your neighbor get it back on its feet. Over and over and over in Jesus' ministry, he's trying to get the people to understand why God made these why he made these commands. And the Sabbath was made for man. It was to give man rest in this world. What a beautiful thing that God has, has given us. And instead of saying that you should work seven days a week, God wants you to take time of rest that helps you physically, that helps you mentally. And that is a time that will help you spiritually. This is a gift that God has given his people, a Sabbath's rest. And they made it more work than it was than, than it was ever intended for. And so Jesus does this quite often. There's, there's a big thing that's going on is, is people are upset with him for healing on the Sabbath. But this story is not about Jesus' authority to heal on the Sabbath. The story is more about Jesus wanting them to understand why God made his laws, why he made his commands, and how they can apply them to their lives to better see who the nature of our God is. The prophets understood this. Micah says in, in, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, when it's asked, what does God want from us? How are we supposed to come to God? How are we supposed to approach God? And Micah says, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Jesus wants us to get our mindset right on why he has these, these commands laws, this, this scripture. It's not just so that we can come together, open the Bible and see how close we can, we can match everything. Although that's 
definitely something we should do. If we follow God's commands, if we follow God's law, we will definitely be better off in life. There's wisdom in his law. But if we don't see what his law means and his law points us to justice and kindness and walking humbly in the sight of the Lord. That's what his law is. And so Jesus wants us to be able to take his law and see how that how we can show kindness through it. How we can show justice to the world through it and how we can humbly walk before him. This is what Jesus wants us to get from this law. And so what better way to spend the Sabbath than to free someone of their sickness? That's what he wants us to do. And so we're called to come together and we're called to worship him. We're called to be here on on Sunday mornings together. This is something where we do. We're supposed to come and break bread and share the Lord together. We're supposed to sing praises to him. We're supposed to learn about him and, and study about him. But then we're supposed to also take this faith that we have and put it into action. In the way of justice and mercy. So that we can humbly walk before our God. We're supposed to see people that are hurting. And do what we've been given, the gifts that we've been given. And help. We're supposed to see people that are lost. And tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. And so Jesus is an interesting person at a, at a dinner party. And, and uh, when I think about dinner parties, I, I think back to a roommate that I had. And this roommate was, might be the strangest guy I know. And that might be strange coming from a guy that I might be the strangest guy you know. So this guy was interesting. And when he first got to A&M, his, his first year of, uh, of college, he was part of the Aggies for Christ, like me. And there was a big group on Sunday evening after worship. They were going out and they're going to Chili's to eat dinner and kind of get to know each other. This is, this is like the first week of college. First week of getting to meet people in the Aggies for Christ. And so there's a big group at the table. And my roommate didn't want it to be awkward at the table. And so he planned ahead. He knew that they were going out to eat dinner together. And so in his back pocket, he pulled out conversation cards that he wrote because <laughs> he didn't want the conversation to be awkward. So he had plenty of questions that he wanted to talk, talk to about the table. And then ultimately what that did, instead of having natural conversation, it just made the whole dinner awkward, did the exact opposite of what it was. Now, Jesus was different. Jesus wasn't weird like my roommate was, but Jesus was definitely different. And when Jesus came to dinner parties, he didn't mind it getting a little awkward. And I think that's because Jesus wanted us to get uncomfortable. And sometimes he wants us today to get uncomfortable. Because when we're uncomfortable, it means we might change what we're doing in life. Being uncomfortable might mean we need to adjust something so that we can get comfortable because we realize there's something that's making us uncomfortable and that's not being how God wants us to be. 
And so Jesus, it says in verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He's looking around and, and Jesus has already seen that there's, there's been kind of a ruse happening. They invite this guy just to be a pawn for their party. And they're sitting around this table and they're sitting in this place of honor. And the tables are set up uh, kind of interesting. It's, it's, like, it's like a U. Basically how this auditorium is set up right here where people don't want to sit too close to me except for Jaime. Thank you, Jaime. But it's, they sit around and the host sits in the middle and the most important people sit next to the host and then it, it kind of goes around and that's where the conversation is happening in the middle of the table. So closer to the middle is where the popularity is. Closer to the middle is where the power is. Closer to the middle, you're by the host and you have control. And so Jesus sees that people are sitting there and they're vying for popularity. They're vying for the, the, the seat of honor. And he gives them a good parable, a good warning of what that means. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person who, uh, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes to you, he will say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So in this scenario, it was something I actually got to witness. The owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, the boss of the, the guy at the wedding party, big boss, was exalted, was told, told you're not supposed to be here with the lowly folks. You're supposed to be up in the up up with all the important people. And to his credit, Mr. Brown said, "No, no, that's fine. I don't I don't mind sitting down here." And then he had his meal. He left uh, early because I'm sure he has lots of things to do. And I finished shrimp. So <laughs> not bad. <laughs> To be exalted. If we exalt ourselves, we can be humiliated. And what Jesus wants us to understand is we're, we, none of us want to be humiliated. Being humiliated is not something we like, not something we, we want. And so is Jesus saying that we need to live life feeling lowly, feeling we're insignificant? That's not at all what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus wants us to live with humility. And there is a difference between humility and being humiliated. I was watching this thing on, on YouTube and, and, and have you ever seen it? It's pretty neat. It shows uh, where we fit in this world and, and the, the idea that it shows the size of the earth next to the size of, of uh, Jupiter and then the size of the sun and then the size of the solar system. And it shows, hey, this is how insignificant you are. 
But our God never wants us to think of ourselves as insignificant. We are so incredibly insignificant, so we are so incredibly significant, so significant that Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh, was willing to die for us. We have significance. We're not supposed to think less of ourselves. What we're supposed to do is think of ourselves less. We have significance. Our needs do matter. However, what Jesus wants us to do is to start thinking of others' needs before ourselves. And it's that, that type of thinking that exalts us. And Jesus gave the greatest example of that. Paul writes it down in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he found, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Our Lord, our Savior, our God came to this earth in human form and He did not use being God to His own advantage. He chose humility. He knew He was God. He knew that everyone was supposed to worship Him. He understood that. He didn't think less of Himself, yet He thought of Himself less. And this is the example we're supposed to use when we are around others. To open our eyes, to see their needs before our own. Not because our needs are not important, but because we want to help others. That's what God wants us to do. That's what He's looking for us to do. And so if this is what God wants from us, then we're called to see those who are hurting. And see those who are lost. And now he takes this wedding invitation a little bit further because he wants us to quit thinking about what we look like at a Saturday night dinner party. And he wants us in this parable to be in the mind frame of the kingdom of God. To put ourselves in the kingdom and what it's like to be in the kingdom and that there's so many people that are hurting and lost in this world. And our God doesn't like that. He wants everyone invited to this kingdom. And that's where we come in. We're called to be his hands and feet. We're called to invite them in, to bring them to this great banquet in heaven. And so in verse 12, it says, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you've been repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what's he saying don't invite your friends and family to the resurrection of the righteous. Don't invite them to this, to this great banquet. He is already assuming you have invited them. If you believe in the resurrection, if you believe that Jesus is coming again and He is going to take us with Him, then 
this is important to you, you are going to make sure that your family and friends know this. What's he saying? It's time to get a little bit uncomfortable. It's time for you to step out of your comfort zone and invite those that you wouldn't normally invite. And so he says, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Those are the people that you should invite. Those that are outcasts in society. Those that are outsiders. He's saying, reach out to them. But Jesus has a way of using double meanings often. And so often when he talks about blind, he talks about the spiritually, spiritually blind. And lame, spiritually lame. And I think this is what he's also saying. Is when we invite folks, we need to invite the spiritually poor. Those that just don't know about God. They, they, didn't ra- they weren't raised in, in a Christian family. They don't know about His greatness. The crippled. Those that have maybe they did grow up in a, in, a, in a Christian home, but they were hurt by the church in some way. Reach out to them. Those that are lame. Those that have tried to... to live the Christian life and yet they failed and then they don't think they're worthy of God's grace and his mercy. Or maybe the blind, those that don't believe in God, they don't see it. They're anti-God. These people might have given up on God, but God has not given up on them. And that's where we come in. That's us. We're called to go out and reach these folks. See, I want this neighborhood to know the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want this city to know the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have been given a mission to reach out to them, to invite them to this great feast in heaven. And one of the ways we can do that is we can sit down and we can have a meal with our neighbors, with our friends, with those who are on the outside. On April 24th, the week after Easter, we've done this multiple times and uh, I'm I'm excited to do it again. We're going to have a picnic out here and we're going to invite our neighborhood to come and join us. And I would encourage you to invite friends and family. And then those that maybe are a little bit on the outside. I want you to think about folks that we can invite to this to this uh, dinner party. Because it's then when we can open up conversation and talk about the true banquet in heaven. So I encourage you this week to think about who you need to invite, who you need to talk to. And then also think about how can you get involved as we invite our neighborhood around us? What can you do? Think about that. Pray about that. Jesus called us to live life with justice and kindness and to walk humbly with him. And the most important thing we can do is to make him Lord of our life. And if you haven't made him Lord of your life, you can do that today. You can be baptized into him and raised in his resurrection so that you can be at this feast. Or maybe you're struggling and you need to learn a little bit of humility and you need to humble yourself and we can pray for you and we can help you along in that way. But if you have any need, please come while we stand and sing.
Christ, <laughs> 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 <laughs>